Welcome to the Doctoral Mentoring Masterclass for faculty sponsored by Walden University's Office of Research and Doctoral Services. I'm Lee Stallander, the Associate Director of Faculty Research Training at Walden. If you're a Walden faculty member and would like credit for listening to this Masterclass podcast, please make a note of the code that will be given during the session and email it to me. I hope you enjoy the masterclass. Hello, good morning. Once again, this is Lita Downs from the Office of Teaching and Learning Excellence, and I would like to welcome you to our session today. Um, this is one of Walden's first doctoral mentoring masterclasses. The masterclasses are designed to allow faculty who have been identified as exceptional mentors to share their experiences and insights with the mentoring community. Today's session will be Knowing, Understanding, and Mentoring Online Doctoral Students for Success. And the purpose of this class is to have doctoral mentors better understand their students so they can provide a more personalized mentoring experience and build a community for their students. The goal for this session is to provide a list of usable strategies for mentors to get to know their students and to understand the basics of mentoring. Without further ado, I am going to turn things over to our moderator, Dr. Lee Stefander. Welcome. Thank you so much. Could we go on to the next slide, please? Well, let me introduce our panel. Um, first, Dr. Laura Lynn. Laura, you want to say hi and introduce yourself? Certainly. Hi, I'm Laura Lynn. I'm Dean. Um, the Office of Research and Doctoral Services, and also for the Office of Teaching and Learning Excellence. Happy to support that wonderful group as well. Um, the uh, Really excited um, about this, but I've been here, many of you may know, uh, quite a while, uh, previously in the College of Education, um, for coming um, to this, to the, what is now the ORGS unit um, in uh, 2008. But I'm really excited uh, about this topic and to be able to be in this conversation with this great group. Awesome. Cheryl, can you also tell us how many students you have as well as a little bit about you? Uh, sure, I have, um, currently I have four PhD students and four DHA students that I'm mentoring. And I'm on the committee for, I think another six or seven more. I've been at Walden for 10 years and I've been a DHA mentor since the program started. Um, that's probably about five or six years ago. And I've been a PhD mentor for eight years. Um, I'm a registered nurse. I worked in um, labor and delivery for most of that bedside experience. And then I got to go over to work as like, uh, worked in like the finance kind of aspect of things. And I'm so happy to be here with everyone today. I'm glad you're here. Vesalios, can you introduce yourself? I'm sorry, can you hear me? Vasilios, you're on mute. Oops, yes, we cannot hear you. Let's see. And also if everyone, um, if you're not presenting, if you can also go on mute, that would be great. That cuts back on bandwidth. Vasilios? Why don't we skip ahead then to Ethel? Ethel, can you tell us about you? Uh, yes, hi, I'm Ethel Perry. I'm in the School of Psychology 
And my specialization is health psychology. I have 24 uh, doctoral students that I actually chair and nine that I'm second committee member to. Um, I also teach a couple of qualitative classes and that's me. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Vasilios, did you get your mic working? Someone had mentioned that uh, maybe his headphones have a mute button on them. Hear me now? Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay, better. So, uh, hello, I'm Vasilios Margaritis. I'm uh, a senior core faculty in Dr. PH and PhD in public health programs. I'm with Walden since 2012. I have served as chair, committee member, and URR for more than 100 students at Walden. Now I have about 15 as chair and about the same number as member. So I hope that my experience can be a little bit useful for this session today. Thank you. Very good. And Laura, did you want to say something before we get going here? Oh, yes. A couple of things is I... Uh, neglected to mention that I also, in my time here, <laughs> in, my, in my faculty work, have served uh, many on, on many uh, capstone committees, um, uh, definitely over 100, uh, serving as chair second, uh, URR, um, and teaching uh, many of, the, of our research courses and various versions of the research courses. Um, so I, I will be uh, bringing that to the conversation today as well. Um, but uh, yes, I'm just really excited about um, this series and really the opportunity to have um, uh, people like my colleagues here sharing these great practices. And, and I know Lee and myself and others are so excited to hear about the creative ways uh, people have been supporting our students. So I'm excited about this series and we're really um, you know, this is a, an important priority um, we have now uh, at Walden for Doctoral to really make sure that we're supporting our faculty uh, to do the best work and that we really are a learning community learning from each other. So thank you. Okay. Well, just a reminder that this is the first master class in a series. We're going to be holding them over the next year. So once a month, we'll have a new master class. So today, let's begin with the basics. For our panel, how do you see being an online doctoral mentor as different from being an in-person one? I, I can start. I um, I did my DHA online, so I I remember those experiences I had with that, and then that, that's what I bring to my uh, mentoring classes. So. It's so important to get on the phone with the student first week. Um, like to have it with a Zoom meeting so you can actually see each other face to face um, so that they know that it's a human being there. So we're not just people in a box. And I that's I think the personal connection is vital, like right away, as soon as you get in. And even students I've had for a, a while as they're going through the process, we have that call first or second week just to make sure we're connecting with a face to face kind of a view of each other. And I'd like to add to that. Sure. 
So in working with the uh, online and how it's different from being in person, just as my colleague Cheryl has stated, it's very important to connect that face-to-face. -face. You know, I like to do that at the very beginning before they start the prospectus class. And so I like to have that greet and meet and actually tell them a lot about myself and hear about some things about themselves, answer questions. And then as well, something that I do differently is that for students who live down here in toward the Houston area, outside of Houston, actually we have an opportunity where we can meet. And so we, we can have our, actually our meetings at a coffee shop. And that's been really great as well too. How That's many a great people? Idea. Yeah. yeah, how many people do you have come to it? How many people do I have? No, I this no they come to your coffee meeting. Oh, I have actually, we have three individuals. Okay. I agree um, with Cheryl and Ethel. Um, the most significant thing is that for students, there is a misunderstanding that uh, online learning isn't isolated, you know, and that uh, it gives a flexibility to do things with their own pace, you know, with their time management. But the difference is that they need to understand that also there are rules, there are deadlines, we need to have a regular communication. We need to uh, set specific goals each quarter. Mm -hmm. So online learning doesn't mean that they can do whatever they want to do. So this is a big difference. In brick and mortar universities, they see the chair. Maybe they're afraid a little bit. <laughs> In online learning, we are losing that. So we need to provide the rules and the guidance very early so they can understand that this is good for them to graduate timely. And uh, unfortunately, I don't have the, uh, the possibility because I live overseas to see my students like Ethel does, but I encourage them to see them in a residency. It's great to meet together at least once in person as a chair and student, if this can be done. This is a very good experience for the students. Great point. And I just wanted to emphasize that idea of students can so easily just disappear, you know, and they, if we don't keep at that and making them be in contact with us and other students, I think it's so easy for them to just get lost. So great point there. That's I, I also, you know, I, the students have my, we, we share our cell phone numbers so they know they can text me um, on Eastern Standard Time. So I'm like, you know, text me between nine and eight because then sometimes it's a quick question or, hey, can we get on a call? Or if I am available, I could say, hey, we can jump on a call in a half hour to an hour. And I think that that also makes them feel more relaxed and, and also it can keep them on track as a, uh, as you're saying, Vasilios, it's like uh, if I if I notice I don't see them for eight days, that's kind of my timeline. I'll send them a text message and I'll send an email just to keep them on track. And but just having that, you know, I think just a more flexibility than being in an on-ground program. I think that that's a big advantage that we have as well. Right. I I I agree with everything that everyone's been saying, and you know, I think of. Every day I'm still learning that it's so important to be meeting our students where they are. 
and the, the diversity of their styles and needs and, um, and the support, the proactive support. Um, I really like what, what you were, you know, um, I believe it was uh, uh, Ethel, how you were saying, you know, just that time of, of getting to know your students. And then you really get that sense of what they like, how they learn, um, I think makes all the difference. And you can learn that, you know, I, I think many of us have learned that there's students that in the, initially we may have thought have some challenges and then we realize what they truly can achieve uh, with the, their more personalized support. Well, this is a good segue. Um, how would you characterize Walden students? Um, last week we had a, our staff meeting of our department and um, they actually had some stats. So Walden, we have a very diverse uh, population of students. Uh, they looked at the age groups. I think the majority age group was uh, from like 25 to 45 years old. So, you know, these people are working, busy, many of them have children probably. And so that's for, again, meeting them where they're at and understanding what they're doing is uh, so important. And also understanding some uh, cultural norms. I've had the opportunity. I had two PhD students from South Korea. I've had someone from Great Britain. Um, so I have someone from Kenya. Matter of fact, we just got approval. We're publishing an article together. It was approved and he's from Kenya. And he's, it, it's just so exciting to get to learn about their culture. Because I ask them questions, they ask me questions, what goes on, and it's just, I think it's fascinating to uh, get to know them. I also have, um, I see the students that are from very different educational, professional, uh, national backgrounds. Uh, we have students from uh, all the range of the age groups. And uh, the, the most significant thing that I see are, are that they are working adults, as you all know. They have jobs, they have families. Some of them are grandparents, parents. So the, the, the huge issue is time, right? Is how much time can dedicate for their studies. And again, the flexibility of online learning uh, sometimes is misunderstood and they think that they must not dedicate time. So we need to provide them some ways to dedicate time in a smart way, you know, not to spend a lot of time to find everything, just to provide them the channels and the guidance and the resources so they can do their job. Because maybe some of them can have only 10 hours per week to work on their study and we can, they must get the most of it. So time is a very significant issue for our students. I agree with all of my colleagues. And I know that when I think about the Walden students and how you categorize them is that each student comes with their own why story. They have a why story of why they want this PhD. And so with that, I'll often use that as a launching pad for them to remember their why story. And many of them have a vision of, of where they want to be in the next five years. And they all are very hardworking adults. They have families, they have life events that happen to them. And so you have to be very understanding because these are individuals who actually 
desire the PhD and they just need help from the mentors and how to get there. Great point. Very good point. I know I've had students that were in their 70s and 80s, which I think is amazing. You would never see that in an in-person institution. You know, I think it's giving people opportunities that they wouldn't ordinarily get, which is pretty exciting. Any other comments to this one? So how do you get to know and understand your students' needs and what problems that they have? I love this is this is a good question, Lee. <laughs> and and I think, and I'm interested in what my colleagues think can be a challenging one because I found in my experience sometimes it takes a little while to um, really uncover that, uh, uncover those challenges. Um, and it you know uh, you know it's important to have conversation. Um, it's important, and also our students we have to keep in mind and is uh, sometimes are, are nervous and sensitive uh, in this doctoral arena. Uh, so we wanna make sure they feel safe um, and they feel and know they're supported so they can share uh, what they're struggling at, what their challenges are. And then sometimes too is learning that, um, you know, for some people they're, they're just in time types of support that don't take much time can be just what someone needs to move forward because as they get stuck and it could just start to really uh, lead to, de you know, a, a demotivating. Um, but I've, you know, sometimes it is uh, kind of a real discovery process to really understand what will really best support the student and, and you know, what might be a creative way uh, to work with them along the way. So I'm interested in, in uh, what my colleagues, uh, some of their approaches as well. I agree with Laura in that there, you know, how to get to know and understand your students' needs. Uh, I guess because I start out very early at the very beginning, I have these weekly meetings with all the students and sometimes they're anywhere between 30 minutes to 45 minutes. And so throughout that and developing that rapport, I get the opportunity to know exactly who they are. I know that during the time of the onset of the COVID, I could even tell when my students' writing had changed because a lot of my students, they were, uh, they actually were first responders. Some of them were first responders uh, and some of them, they were feeling the stress of everything that was going on. And so, which means that I did more listening. How could I support them during that time? And so in order to get to know them, I always believe that I have to have to be there with them and just work with them along the way, side by side as a mentor itself. And I try to present myself in that if they ever have any questions, I'm accessible where they can ask those questions as well too. And then also uh, <clears throat> for the students' needs, I set up a group me on where the group as well is a support to each other. So then that makes a difference. Just in case anybody wants to know, group me is a text app that you have on a smartphone. So, yeah, great. That's a great idea. Um, I encourage the students too, you know, we're in that contact the instructor kind of thing. And I encourage them to ask each other questions. 
But another thing that I do is um, if I have a student that I, it just has like a writer block, you know, I'll just say, send me what you wrote. Did you write one paragraph? Did you write a couple of sentences? Did you, you know, write your introduction? And, um, you know, so then I, I'll re review it and then make some comments. And then I try to get on the phone with them before I send it back. And sometimes that helps them get started again. Um, and I, you know, cause they, some, it's overwhelming, you know, cause they didn't follow everything in the order of the checklist. Um, they, then they they feel like that they failed. And I'm like, no, no, you, no, we're gonna, let's just get something written down and then we're gonna review it together. And, um, I, I just think, and, and that's, or that's, and that's what the student, like, um, like Ethel, like you said, they'll tell me that they've worked, you know, five 12 hour shifts in a row in a short staffed nursing unit or I have one student she worked EMS she's a first responder she worked fourth of July weekend the whole weekend and she thought she was only going to work two days so she she's texting me I'm so sorry I didn't get my my edits back to you and I'm like it's okay just take a deep breath you'll get it to me this week so I really think it is important to really understand those things just as you are you know as everyone's saying to get to know them too. I agree with my peers. So the first thing is that the student um, show to us what they need via email, text, uh, phone calls, teleconference, whatever is working best. I know some students want to work via email. We try to encourage them to have a in-person meeting, but if this doesn't work, it's okay. So we need first to ask them what are their expectations, what, uh, um, uh, what they need, what they think they struggle. Is it statistic? Is it is the content? Is the literature review? So, so this is the one aspect. The other aspect is what we, we think that they need as experienced mentors. I always say that we need to do a, a, some knowledge diagnostics of our students. We need to see what they know about methodology, what do they know about their topic. Sometimes they want to uh, work on diabetes, but they never read even an article about that. So uh, they want to do a qualitative study, but uh, they didn't took the advanced qualitative course. So uh, we need to be able to uh, very early, this is, the, I think, the key word, detect what, it, what they really need, if, even if they don't know that they need it. So this can take some time, as Laura said, but I think experienced mentors, even from a draft like a premise, a prospectus, uh, you know, even from an assignment, we can see how the things can go and give them the right guidance with the resources, et cetera. Yes, those, those are very good points. I, uh, I, I mentioned I, I had a student, uh, she finished her PhD about two years ago. She's an epidemiologist in South Korea. So we got paired together because she was studying uh, maternity patients because they were looking at air pollution impact on people going into preterm labor. So it worked out good. We did a Teams call because I said to her, okay, you need to educate me about air pollution and all these little molecules and things. So if you can direct me, which should I read? And I'm gonna help you learn about maternity services. And it was just a good partnership. 
she and she got through with her whole process in like about two years because she was a good writer we had such good communication and we taught each other and i learned something about something i never thought i would dream of knowing and it's just fascinating that we had that such a really good partnership together i love that that's great <laughs> so if i was going to try to characterize what everybody has said i would say that you're trying to get students to feel comfortable in talking to you and coming to you with what their problems are so that you can help them through the process i know i meet with my students when i first take them on <clears throat> and get a chance to try to get to know them a little bit and try to get them to be comfortable with me do you guys do anything like that when you first kind of onboard new students i do i do that as well too i do more of a I reach out to them once I am assigned as their chair. I actually reach out to them as I get their email and I let them know who I am. And I set up a, uh, a meeting with them, actually a face-to-face -face meeting via Zoom. And so uh, I have the opportunity to tell them who I am. They can tell me who they are, uh, any questions that they have about the process. A lot of them, you know, they feel a lot of fear. They say, I'm scared about the process, you know, in starting it. <laughs> And so you hear that a lot. And it's like, you know, so you try to diffuse the fear some and say, it's going to be okay. We're going to take step by step. It's going to be baby steps. And you'll see how the process just unfold. And so by, by them making that connection, they feel really good. Because by the time they come to the first week of their prospectus class, they know what to expect. And so it's almost like an open house. And so anyway, in doing that process, it's been really great. Yeah, that's good. I, I, I do the same thing. As soon as I get that email, whether I'm the committee, the member or the URR, I reply all and introduce myself because it's the same thing. It's just having them not be so afraid and like, nope, we're going to take these two steps first. Make sure you know where that prospectus form is. And by the way, I, I sent you an email and I, I, I uh, added it on there. So in case you can't find it in the classroom, I gave it to you. And the term plan, I do the same thing because they're so nervous sometimes, they can't even navigate the classroom. So I just try to make it a little easier for them and just let them have it a click away right on top of an email or in a discussion. So the same way it is, connecting so early is so important, Ethel. I, I absolutely agree with that. <clears throat> I agree. And this is very important, especially if we take over students from other chairs, which is also very common at Walden for several reasons. So the students sometimes are afraid or are frustrated from their previous chair. We need to meet them definitely, explain them that we understand some things happen because of their control or chair's fault, doesn't matter now. We have a new start, a fresh start. We need to explain them the next steps. And my experience with unfortunately many challenging students is that when we explain to them what, what are the next steps, what our feedback will include, and with their hard work, but our timely and detailed feedback uh, that they can be successful, they understand. They very rarely uh, push back and say, no, I want to do this. So we need to be very consistent, <laughs> patient, and insist that we have a different culture 
and try to convey this culture to our students. Not easy, but feasible. <laughs> excellent points, excellent. So what do you think that your students need from you as a mentor? I think we've hit a few things, but ideas? So I can start. So in one word, everything. <laughs> they want everything from us <laughs> to save them. So what we can do? First is to establish a good relationship of trust. They can trust us that we will help them. We know what are we doing. We know the procedures. We don't want them to delay them. If we return them, uh, the papers with a lot of comments and uh, uh, remarks. It's for them, it's not for us to timely graduate. So uh, we need to have a trust and also they need also uh, to convince us that we can trust them, that they can do the job, they can timely submit their papers, not disappear. So we need to establish this relationship of trust. The other thing is that we need to set for them, if they cannot do that, realistic goals. You know, we, we see from the quarter plans that I want to pass my prospectus proposal and IRB approval in the first quarter. No, you cannot do that. <laughs> we need to discuss what does this mean, what each process, each step means. So we need to set the we need to set these deadlines and this. Uh, um, uh, phases and also to coordinate these phases. For example, we need for them to cooperate with the committee member, with the URR about the feedback. It's very difficult for the student to discuss their problems with three faculty. I think the chair must be the center of this and via the chair can have the discussions with the member and the URR. And finally, uh, we need to be proactively. We need to uh, detect the issues. Uh, if we see that the students from the pro uh, student from the prospectus phase have some significant writing issues, we need to address them because in the proposal, maybe it will be very, very difficult to do that. We need to ask them about their familiarity with statistics, SPSS, qualitative interviews, all these things that according to our experience can take time to be resolved, to detect them early. And I'm sure that in a <clears throat> in, in couple of quarters, we can have a good idea about what the student can do or cannot. Those are, uh, those are excellent points. I was thinking when you were saying that we need to coordinate with the committee member and the URR because if, and I always make sure I read the committee members feedback because sometimes I don't understand it myself or I don't agree with it. And so I'll get on the phone with the committee member and, or and even if I've done that with the URR and I'm like, I don't, I don't understand what you want from us. Or sometimes they might have just a, cause a different thread of how, what their thought is. And that I think, and I, I agree with you. It's so important that we are driving the car so that everyone's going in the same direction. Because so, otherwise the students do get so frustrated 
And it has to do with that trust and commitment of, from us. We're committed to them and we want them to trust us. And I think that's, those are excellent points. I, I love what, yeah, what you said, uh, uh, Cheryl, because that, that piece of uh, working with the, you know, the other committee members, because otherwise students can get confused and there can be so much anxiety, unnecessary anxiety where you can work through that and then have a more cohesive and unified and, and supportive thing that can make all the difference mm -hmm. in a student's experience. And yeah, I think that's uh, a real piece. The other thing I wanted to um, mention was that, uh, uh, that someone had mentioned about the, uh, I, I think it was you earlier, Cheryl, about the role of, um, you know, how you, you know, might do uh, something de depending on the role, like, you know, providing a link. It, and so yeah. we all, I think it's important for all of us in these various roles we might have to just be thinking about what role can we be playing in the student success? Maybe the chair is newer and, and still learning as well. And how can I be supportive in whether I'm URR or second or something like that? So the student continues to have that uh, strong experience. And I agree with all my colleagues, you know, when I think about what the student expects from the mentor, you know, one is that, as you've heard, is that trust and honesty, uh, as well as to be that mentor, that coach, uh, also to be that advocate when needed. And at the same time, you know, to be timely, to be timely in returning back the work that they have submitted to you and to let them know, you know, if you're running behind and you're, going, you're on that two week time frame, give them a date because that helps with the not feeling anxious and everything. Oh, did she forget about me? You know, or did I fall into a black hole? No, you haven't fallen into a black hole. I have it on my radar screen. <laughs> but they, you know, that helps with that process. And then it's okay to say that you don't know something. If I don't know, I just say, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I just don't know. However, I will go find the answer because someone do know the answer to this. And so, you, you know, you have all of that as a, as a mentor. Very good. Well, we have a few minutes left. I'd like to see if anybody in the audience would like to unmute and ask any questions or comments if you have. Um, this is Dustin Reed. I do have some questions. Um, I don't know if it was answering that. I had to step away for a, a moment earlier. Um, what are some of the challenges that you all have faced in, in your um, more experienced role in the dissertation process? Uh, for mentoring and then also um uh, is there some kind of support group for uh people that are mentoring uh, that we can come and say hey we're having these challenges and kind of like a supervision or some kind of support group with other more experienced uh, people if not is that something we could create i will jump in and answer the last one that we do have a teams group that is for mentors and you can ask any questions. There's also sections on like quantitative and qualitative methods where you can ask questions of our methodologist on it. Um, if you aren't in that or you're not sure about it, write me, I'll get you in. So problems that you've seen, difficulties, I, I just have, I don't know if you're asking a question, but I do have a comment. This is Diane Rulo. Um, in listening to this discussion, I find it funny because I'm so task oriented. So although I meet my, my students on Zoom, 
I don't, I hear like a lot of people talking and they're much more, I think, socializing. And I don't, I'm like, okay, this is the task, let's complete the task and let's move it through. And so what I'm hearing from everybody is that it may be more helpful for me to kind of socialize a little bit with the students rather than trying to um, complete a task. Oh, here I did. Oh, I thought I was on video, but I wasn't. <laughs> yeah. um, there I am. But yeah, I, so now it's interesting because I'm hearing, I don't do this socialization. And I, I sense that my doc students like fear me. <laughs> and that's probably not the best way to build rapport <laughs> is that they fear me. And, um, and this is interesting because I think because I'm so task oriented, I want to get the task done rather than spend the time to get to know them, even though I meet them with Zoom at the beginning and several times throughout, but, but that was great information for me. So thank you for everybody who's sharing that. Oh, that's, that's great. That's, uh, I, think, I think all of us have experienced that, um, absolutely. Um, and I think it's been kind of learning along the way. Um, you know, I, I remember many years ago, just being, doing this online after having done it traditionally and, it's just those, those uh, having those opportunities and, and seeing the comfort level change. And, uh, and one thing, you know, we, we've been able to learn from some of our advisors um, who share with us that things that they haven't, they don't share, that is the level of anxiousness and fear and nervousness. And I'm, oh, I'm, you know, nervous to tell my faculty member this or that. Um, so yeah, that's, it's, it's an interesting learning. It's interesting to try different things. I also, I wanted to, to jump back to Dustin's point and maybe some other people have that uh, point about challenges uh, that, that people have experienced. And um, in the, you know, I, this would kind of go back to one of the questions is that um, it really, sometimes it really is just taking, a, learning how the student needs to learn um, because I've been surprised sometimes uh, by different students' needs. And, uh, you know, you know, some are more, uh, a phone conversation can really help. Sometimes it's real examples that, that have to be worked through. Uh, some people need more written things, uh, but, but those types of, those types of adjustments, because it's, it's over the years, it's taken me time to pause, like, wait, why isn't this getting them? Then I realize, okay, I need to stop doing the same thing <laughs> and try something new. Um, you know, if, if, if phone call explanations aren't working or what, can we do something visual? Uh, what, you know, can we do something real time or does the student actually need to learn? That's another thing. Um, you know, if, if a student's doing a methodology that, you know, maybe there was some exposure to their classes, but, or else it didn't just register in the classes that I, there actually needs to be some step-by-step -step instruction. And then how does that, happen, um, you know, as we're working through that methodology. But I'm, I just don't know if my colleagues have some other things about challenges they've experienced in the dissertation process. I know one, one of the biggest challenges that I have experienced with some of the students, not many, but some, is writing, being able to write. And so, uh, you know, they might get past the perspectives, but when they get to the proposal, chapter two, that's a struggle. That's a struggle for them. And so rather than allowing them to struggle, I often will refer them to the various resources, to the writing workshops. Uh, sometimes some of the individuals have to get an editor, but whatever their needs are, I try to make sure we have those resources for them. Um, <clears throat> and sometimes I have met with the students twice a week 
and gone through part of their chapter two and will share my screen via Zoom. And actually when they read their writing, they can tell that they say, this doesn't make sense. And they can see it visually. However, you know, I'm trying to figure out what's the best way for them to learn. Some of them, the best way for them to learn for one writer I had was where she had her computer to read back to her. And when she heard it, she could say that doesn't make sense. And so she could self edit herself. I like that actually a lot. The code for this podcast is Adam927. They have the um, APA, uh, they don't know APA, 7th edition. And also then the ones had to go from 6th to 7th and they weren't far enough into the process and they had to go back and rewrite stuff. But, and the students will be like, why do I need to do that? No one, I'm like, you're not going to get past any, you're not going to get past your committee member, the URR. You're going to keep, you have to get this APA down, 7th edition. And, and, and Ethel, the writing too, sometimes is a challenge. And I tell them academic writing is a second language that you have to learn, like English as a second language or whatever. And so when you approach it like that also, and I do the same thing, I'll, I'll rewrite like some sentences for them and say, see, here's what you have. Here's what I have to read. And we, I have them read it aloud with me too, because we'll both be on the um, computer. And, um, but I think those are some challenges that they just get through the process. Maybe, you know, some, maybe they don't retain the feedback that they get from faculty or, especially with that APA though, that I think that's a struggle. So I send them to the writing center too. We get in the links, go through the process um, so that they can learn it. So that they'll have it done because mm-hmm. you're not going to get through if you don't have it. If you don't have the writing and the APA down. It's not going anywhere. <laughs> and then sometimes, you know, individuals, they set up this roadblock, this mental roadblock. And I've had multiple people say, I can't write. I can't write. And so I had to just, you know, change that mindset and I said, okay, give me something positive about your writing. Before we start our meeting, tell me what you have done that's excellent. And they'll say that. I said, well, good job. You can write. You have to believe in yourself that you can write. They're using the resources, but for so long, they always thought they couldn't write. And so I have some that have blossomed that they're just very proud of themselves because they can see where they came from, from the beginnings of a perspectives to now an approved proposal, which is awesome. I agree just for 10 seconds is that the challenges are unlimited. <laughs> so we, you, you can provide some examples. Always examples work. If you have a good dissertation, a good example, you can ask from your leadership, from your PD, from your research coordinator, some examples, if you are not with Walden for many years. So you can see how the research questions are doing, how are uh, the theoretical framework, the methodology, all this stuff. Students like to see examples so they can, you know, have an, what they expected to do. They have a good idea for this. So try to find examples, the best ones, I'm, I'm sure that you have, and give this to your students and you will be surprised by their improvement. Very good. Well, we are about out of time. I want to thank the, our panelists. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise. You guys are awesome. Um, reminder to our audience members, we would love to have your ideas. We are putting together an online doctoral mentoring guidebook. If you email me your ideas, I will add them to our group here. Thank you all. 
Um, and next month we will have another session and I hope you can come to it. This podcast was sponsored by Walden University's Office of Research and Doctoral Services. Our music was by Excel Music Publishing, licensed under Creative Commons.